Hey guys, cold open. Check out this promo for Enmeshed, a true crime podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo Amanda and Pam. Enmeshed provides short episodes all about family-related crime, which I love. Such an interesting crime niche. We hope you check them out. And of course, stick around for your regularly scheduled Burden of Proof programming. Hey, true crime fans. I'm Amanda. And I'm her mom, Pam. And we are inviting you to listen to our podcast, Enmeshed. We dive deep to give you fresh takes on stale relationships. Join us every Monday for an audio journey covering the darker side of family dynamics. Our episodes are around 30 minutes. We get right into it. We will guide you through intriguing lesser-known cases and famous crime stories involving murder, deceit, and the entangled family members who commit these crimes together or against each other. Check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And remember, some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. I have, I have something. Yeah. I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners. Yeah. One of our OG listeners. Our OGs. To Renee Delholm. Yes. Because she has been listening to us from the beginning. Yeah. And she actually followed your instruction on your last case. Yes. And she went and put the little gavels. Yes. I forgot about that. We'll send her a little video. I did forget that I said that. Oh, I, don't I say you, it in I most episodes. You, yeah, I don't think in that episode that you said, like, this is what you get, but oh, she that's still did it. That's normally what we do. Yeah, but she still did it, so I want to give her a shout out. Thank you, Renee. Thanks, Renee. Yeah, we have so many of those listeners who have been there since the beginning, and I love them all so dear. Yes. In my heart. Okay. So. What you got for us? Well, first, we have a disclaimer about Oh, yes. Sound. Disclaimer. My house is still a construction zone. Chances are it won't show up. Yeah. <laughs> Chances are it can be edited out. But just in case, if you hear some like saws buzzing in the background. They're getting my, new floors. My apologies. Yeah. That's my hubby. <laughs> Sawing tile. Working hard. Working hard. We're just going to sit here and talk about crime. Yes. In our swelteringly hot studio. It's not so hot yet, but it will get hot. It will be. Because obviously we can't have air conditioning running in here. While we're recording. Yeah, not a room one. And this is just, it has bad venting. Yeah. Terrible. Anyway, nobody cares about, (laughs) nobody cares about my air conditioning woes. I care very much. (laughs) Well, that's because you're here. (laughs) Yes. So today we have the story of Susan Walters, the woman who killed her hitman. Killed her hitman. Yes, ma'am. Shut the front door. I don't think I will. Especially because I didn't this morning. It's hot in here. The reason no, <laughs> uh, the the reason I was a few minutes late was because You're my puppy. No, no, my puppy <laughs> decided that she was going to get out the front door. Oh no! And so everybody in the house had to come help me track down the puppy. She was on our neighbors, and then she got scared and she couldn't come home, so <laughs> had Aww. to get her. That's why I was a few minutes later than I thought I was going to be. So apparently, I won't shut the front door because it was my fault. I didn't shut it all the way. And she nosed her way out. Anyway, Susan Walters is an extraordinary woman, and this is an extraordinary story. She was born to parents who moved around a lot, and they eventually separated when she was seven years old, 
which was kind of weird for the time period because she is older and, you know, back in the day, parents weren't really separating that much. And so Mm -hmm. she definitely felt that growing up around all of her friends whose parents were together still, um, being the odd man out that her parents were separated, they passed her back and forth a lot. There was a big lack of stability. And I will say it is definitely more normal now for parents to have divorced. Yes. Or parents for di- to be divorced. Like growing up, I was always the kid whose parents weren't divorced. Yeah. So she was definitely isolated from her peers growing up, that sort of thing. But her mom did care for her so much so that when she realized that pretty much the only aspect of Susan's life that she was unhappy with was the fact that she was single, her mom joined forces with one of her friends and put an ad in the classified section of the newspaper, which I guess wasn't that weird. I read the um, I'm actually going to read the ad for you from a picture of the newspaper. It's around a bunch of other similar or more scandalous ads. Okay. Some of them are similar to this. Some of them are quite sexy. So, remind me again. What year are we talking? Or or you're not supposed to ask that question. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Because I don't remember, and I didn't write it down. Well, I'm guessing the 70s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I can probably really quickly look. Maybe the 80s. She was born in 1950, so it would have been like late 70s, early 80s. My parents' age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she okay. was older at the time. So she was 33 when the ad was placed. So, so like early 80s? Yeah, early 80s. Okay. So we're in the early 80s. Thanks for asking. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you asked. Spot. But yeah, that I was just trying to think back. I remember the time when like classifieds were in newspapers mm-hmm. were a thing still, but I am young enough to go, ooh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Um, I can read other ads from this paper if you'd like to see like the other <laughs> options. Um, one of them, single white female, educated, attractive, and discreet, seeking one married gentleman whose sophistication, oh. charm, and wealth exceeded only by his generosity. Oh, looking for a sugar daddy. Sugar daddy. She was. But then there's other people who are saying single white male, 31, real nice guy, 5'11", athletic, professional, handsome, seeking attractive female for fun friendship and possibly marriage children welcome so it's not she's not the only person being put out there so yeah. little i would never do it i but. mean it's weird how things change like yeah. nobody thinks twice about an app that does yeah. the same thing it does pretty much but it seems weird that they do it in a newspaper but it's the same thing pretty much yeah i guess it's nicer to be able to have a picture of them and not have bef- you know not yeah. have to Well, the ad that Susan's mom and best friend put out said, someone different, single white female, 33, overweight but not over life, sinks single man who wants more out of a relationship than just slender, active healthcare professional, enjoys exploring the Northwest, interested in conversation, good times with someone who is intelligent, thoughtful, and full of humor, must be emotionally, fiscally mature. If you are seeking a bright, funny lady who is adventurous enough to advertise, then please reply. Sorry if that was choppy. The words get cut off and then I lose my place in the little paragraph. No. um, Physically mature. <laughs> That's what stood out to me. <laughs> Looking I'm for sorry. Some- emotionally mature. Well, Fis- no. Fiscally mature. Oh, fiscally. I fiscally. thought you said. Fi- okay. 
physically, financially. She wants a man with a job. No, that makes sense. But I was like, emotionally mature? Okay. Physically mature? Like, are you worried that, like, (laughs) (laughs) are you worried that, like, a 13 year old boy is going to. No, 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 no. She wants a man with a job. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. She does receive a reply. Okay. And it says, hi, different, which is the little fake name she put in the ad. My name is Mike. I'm a 35-year-old divorced white male. I had to think about what the, the, because it's an acronym. It says DWM. Yeah. yeah. I had to remember what the D was for. Um, I enjoy most things in nature from wandering the ape caves of Mount St. Helens to walking on the beach at sunset. She liked the way he wrote. She thought he was pretty emotionally literate, and they started talking on the phone. Um, And they were able to talk about a lot of deep subjects. They talked a lot, and they ended up really loving each other. Finally, after a few conversations, they decided to meet up in person. It worked out really well for them. They really connected and had a ton of mutual interests. About a year into their meeting, they got married in Reno and lived together in Portland. Okay. But fairly quickly into their marriage, Mike changes a lot. He changed a ton from when they were just dating. He stopped leaving the house, stopped being adventurous, and started staying at home and disengaged with Susan almost completely. He only was engaged to his cigarettes and his Diet Coke addiction. Which, like, people who love Diet Coke, like, love Diet Coke. That's true. So it's not weird that people, like, people who like it are addicted to it. But the main concern is that he wouldn't spend time with her. And he refused to do anything social or do anything outside of their house. This marks the beginning of a controlling and emotionally abusive relationship that Mike has towards Susan. Here's a little bit of insight into his mindset. He said this phrase regularly, and it's gross. Oh. Life is a shit sandwich. You take a bite every day until you die. He's so deep. So meaningful. So depressing. It's depressing. Mike. Ew, Mike. (laughs) Ew. Michael. <laughs> what? Ew, Mike. Stop it. Don't do that. Stop biting. <laughs> he also became really possessive over their finances. He would fight her over every penny and wanted to know when and where she was going and what she was spending. But it's a really tense house. She wasn't getting any of her emotional needs met from her husband, and she had to defend everything she bought with her own freaking money. She's because so fiscally responsible. Fiscally mature. She's the primary not, breadwinner of the home. Not fiscally controlling. Yeah. She makes the money. She's an emergency room nurse. So she's makes good money because she has a ton of extra certifications and she went to school for a long time and she'd been there a really long time. Right. And he's not working at all. Or oh, we're going to talk about what, he doing, what he's doing. That's my next oh, line. No. So, were there... There had to be red flags, like, before she married him. I don't know. She didn't see any. Well, they never do. If you're wondering what Mike does for a living, just like Alicia was, he actually got a new job a few years into their marriage. He was the supervisor of janitorial staff for a large fantasy adult video store. Wait. The supervisor Uh of a janitorial... How many janitors... I don't think you want to really ask why they need janitors at an adult video store. But I mean, that's just the video store. We hope. 
I don't know. It was, I think it was a chain, maybe. I don't. I mean, still... I can picture it. We, we had those in Ohio. You oh, see them off the end. expressway. Yeah, they're huge. Like, I get it. Uh-huh. But still, is it, is it like, I think he was just like a shift rooms? manager. No, I think he was just like a shift manager. Okay. Like scheduling and managing generally. But still, I'm just thinking like how many janitors does... Oh, I can't believe you store? haven't asked what I meant by fantasy adult video store. Oh, sorry. Okay. I Like dragons. Oh. <laughs> Pretty sure. Well, you know. Whatever, I guess. What's your boat? Some... Some dudes like feet. Some, some dudes like dragons. Like dragons. Or dwarves. Dwarves. <laughs> or uh, Dothraki if you're into Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay. So. That's what he does. Versus her who's. I feel like that should have been a red flag before He didn't start doing him. that until after they got married. But what did he do before? I don't know. Clearly wasn't working Wall Street. No. Definitely not. So, not that I suggest dudes from Wall Street. (laughs) I don't want to make it sound like that. But I don't think he was very fiscally mature. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) So, one thing I did want to note was that the couple did not have children, meaning that every time that they were at home was completely uninterrupted. They did end up going to counseling for a little while, but it didn't really help. Couples counselors will typically say that, like, they know if a couple is going to work or if they're going to fail. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know what this counselor said, but I do know that it seemed to the counselor that Susan was trying and Mike was very stagnant. Okay. So, December of 2005, after 17 years of marriage, Susan is like, deuces, I'm out. This is, I'm done. Um, I want a divorce. You got to get out of my house. Yeah. Because it's my house. I paid for it. Get out. Yeah. She kicked Mike out. And he, at this point, tries to say, like, no, let's go to counseling. Like, he does anything he can to delay the divorce process. But Susan is determined. And she's pretty sure that they're finished. He moves in with his father. But he did go back and forth a lot to their home because he would cat sit for her when she had really long shifts. So she never changed the locks or the garage code because he was coming in and out to feed or watch the cats while she was working because most nurses work 12-hour shifts. Sometimes if you work overtime, it's like 16 hours is pretty much the cap in most hospitals. Yes. So he would come to watch the cats sometimes. So get out of my house, but come back and watch my cat. Well, she didn't really have anybody else. I mean, she had some friends, but they they were nursing. moved away from... And so... I forgot they had moved away from her. Well, I think she had lived outside of Portland before, but still, like, all of her friends were nurses and her yeah. mom is older. Yeah. And so it's it's easier, you know, with his schedule, I think, for him to go. And the cats know I'm like, I get it. 17 years is a long time to just, like, go cold turkey. A lot of couples yeah. struggle with that, you know, at this point. That's true. On September 6th, 2006, after work, Susan leaves the ER and she goes to the salon. She is stressed. and She's like, girl, I don't want to do my hair. Somebody do my hair for me. (laughs) And so they did. And like, honestly, I can't wait to be super rich. And so I can pay somebody to do my hair because it's the worst part of being a human being to me is doing my hair. 
if I now had, you know why my hair looks like crap all the time. <laughs> my hair does too. I would literally. First of all, your hair doesn't look like crap. Um, well, but thank I. You. <laughs> I don't even need much more money than I have now to start paying somebody to do my hair. Like I, I hate it that much. Like it's an expense. Yeah. Uh, you know, just I'm gonna go to the salon, get a blowout every three days, be done. Anyway, she was at the salon. Blah blah. blah. She gets her stress relief. She goes home. She's in the back mudroom of their home where she sees a note on the microwave from Mike, who was supposed to be watching the cats. The note basically said, I haven't seen the note, but it basically says, I haven't been able to sleep. Can't watch the cats. I'm going to the beach. I will see you Friday or Saturday. Love me. Which is from meaning Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, obviously, they're cats. They're probably fine through her shift and her hair appointment. They're pretty low maintenance. I think that's why I kind of question, like, yeah, him having to be the one to come in because really cats don't have to be. They're really yeah, okay like, by themselves. They're not like dogs. Like, yeah, it's they're not really like okay. my dogs. It, they would technically be totally fine except for eating. Yeah. And back then, there's not, now there's like all sorts of fancy gadgets. Yeah, like, like automatic, automatic feeders. Yes, that are automatic. You can set it, it it'd be fine. Um, so I get it. You'd have to have somebody come in and just check on them and feed them, give them water. Yeah. But yeah. So pretty much. Good job, Mike. But I could never do that with my dogs. Somebody has to be home every oh, like mine too. six to eight hours. Yeah. Minimum. Minimum. And even yeah. then, like I like to have somebody home with them the whole time because I'm crazy, but you know. Well, you know my dogs. I love them. They don't even like when you leave them alone in a room. Let alone but they also them. don't want you here. Like, <laughs> like no, that's just anybody that doesn't live here. <laughs> if you don't live here, they'll yell at you when you come, even if they know you, and then they yell at you when you leave. Like, and they yell at you when you move rooms or when yes. you like shift position <laughs> you at all. Move at all. As long as you're standing directly still and, and your paying hand attention is, to them, as I'm saying, your hands are on them. They won't bark they're at fine. you. Yeah, it's simple. Other, other than that, simple. So anyway, she goes to disarm the alarm box because it was going off because she came inside. Um, and she notices when she heads up that way that her bedroom is dark, which is weird because Susan always draws her curtains every morning to let the light in, which is pretty normal for somebody from her generation. Yeah. My yeah. grandparents did the same thing. And she swore up and down that she did. But obviously, nobody's been in the house because the alarm just went off when she came in. Yeah. And if somebody had been there, they would have disarmed it or it would have been going off. I like there's obviously nobody here, right? Or is there? Susan, unfortunately, walks into her dark bedroom and suddenly a man emerges from behind those closed curtains. He's five foot nine, wearing yellow dishwashing gloves, a baseball cap down over his eyes, and he was carrying a red and black hammer. She screamed, who are you? But he didn't answer. He just attacked. He was swinging wildly with with it like five inches on her and he was very strong. She had bad knees and is much shorter and any normal person would have thought they were dead from the beginning. But Susan isn't normal. She is a badass. She's an ER nurse. She is. And she's had tons of self-defense training because not only is she an ER nurse, she's also a trauma nurse. Mm -hmm. So she's got tons of it. And she uses that in her strength to fight back. 
she thinks it through and she gets closer to her attacker because he know she knows that his swings will be as strong if he's closer. Yeah. He actually said to her, wow, you're strong. He said, you're strong, which was the only words he said the entire fight because he wasn't expecting it. She eventually gets the hammer briefly and uses the claw side to go after her attacker. She asks him who sent him and continues to hit him with it, but unfortunately, he does get the hammer back. But it doesn't matter. She had this overwhelming feeling that she needed to give up the struggle for the weapon and that, quote, I needed to become the weapon. Oh, my gosh. She uses all of her strength. Mind you, they're in a hallway. Yeah. She uses all of her strength to flip over on top of her attacker and starts strangling him. He starts turning purple and stops breathing. She didn't want to kill him, so as soon as she thought he was down, he grabbed the hammer and started to run to her neighbor's house. But he wasn't down. He got up and he chased her down the hallway, punched her in the face twice, and they start grappling on the floor again. Start rolling your grapple checks, ladies and gents. This is D&D. Like, (laughs) holy crap. She uses all of her instincts and her nurse training to start biting her attacker. She bites through his pants, through part of his genitalia, through his skin, leaving (laughs) massive bite marks, and is scratching to try and get his DNA under his nails. She even is searching through his pockets through the fight to find an ID, a wallet, anything. Oh, my God. She's like, if you're taking me down, you're going with me. So... It's while she's digging through the pockets that she realizes, like, okay, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't know how much left I have. And she really wanted to make sure he was caught. But she was able to get her leg over him again. She chokes him again. And this time she starts yelling, tell me who sent you and I will call you a fucking ambulance. But she holds him here longer this time. She doesn't make the same mistake. She makes 100% sure that he is down grabs the hammer, and runs to the safety of her neighbor's house. They fought for over 17 minutes. Oh, my God. A long time. That's an eternity when fighting. so long. I know how long that is because that's how long I stood in a smushed section yesterday to watch the Disney fireworks before the fireworks started (laughs) with, like, like screaming children. And it felt like forever. And I cannot imagine how long it would be. If you were, like, fighting for your life. Yeah. Holy crap. The neighbors called the police, and this is what they say. And I'm going to just read the quotes, the transcript to you. Quote, we have an intruder in the house next door. The intruder was in the bedroom with a hammer. The woman who lives there thinks she may have strangled him. He was down when she left. The dispatcher says, can you put her on the phone? And the caller says, she's bleeding. I'm sure she didn't say it like that. (laughs) She's bleeding. She's bleeding. Um, He said, she's bleeding. The dispatcher said, does she need an ambulance? And they said, no, she's a nurse. She says, call an ambulance for the guy. He might be dead. (laughs) She's like, I'm good. Don't worry. Don't you worry about me. If you're on TikTok, you'll know the audio where it says, if you ever see me fighting in the woods with a grizzly bear, help the bear. (laughs) Ah, I'm winning. (laughs) Oh, the audio goes, because that bitch gonna need it. (laughs) Oh my god! I'll probably find a little way to to post that audio because it's when we post this video. That's gonna be you. 
I just saw a thing about finding a polar bear, a video about finding a polar bear with the astrological signs, and it said that the Aries and Scorpio would be the ones probably pick the fight with the bear. Yeah, I act the fight on for sure. Yeah. See, I'm a very balanced girly with, I've got my my fire sun, my water moon, and my like earth mm-hmm. rising, so I may not actually fight the bear, but it is my instinct to fight the bear yeah i have to fight the like yesterday i wasn't supposed to go to disney but i had one thought oh maybe i could go today in the car <laughs> no logic no like packing like, it was just okay cool well my moody one is an aries and she's an aries through and she through she is oh yeah <laughs> so she she will fight anyone on anywhere, anything on anything time. anytime Any she is ready yes for a fight Yes. It's exhausting. (laughs) Pray for me. (laughs) So I watched a bunch of interviews with Susan and my favorite quote from her, I cried the entire time I was doing research on this part of the case where she was like interviewing after, but I'm a big baby. I'm a cancer moon. Speaking of astrology, I cried the whole time. Um, I also cried at the fireworks yesterday, if anybody's curious. (laughs) (laughs) Even though you've seen them how many times? Um, We don't need to talk about it. It's so moving. Do you know how many people worked on that to make it so beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm not really judging. You I know. know. I cried when I left. My k- kids were fine leaving Disney <laughs> and I was crying going, can we just stay? It's so magical. This is the happiest place on earth. <laughs> so my favorite quote that Susan said was, quote, I didn't choose my attacker's death for him. I chose my life. Goosebumps. I've got, look, I've got goosebumps. When police arrived, they found his wallet on him in his pockets. She was going to find that thing. And it indicated that he was Edward Dalton Haffey, a Vietnam vet with quite an extensive rap sheet. He had a bunch of drug-related charges and had served a long sentence for the conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy to kill his girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. He had been involved and convicted in a hit-related crime prior. He's still no match for Susan. No. <laughs> no, Susan. This bitch took down a Vietnam vet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know she why said, so funny. Come at me, bitch. <laughs> Tell me who you are and I'll call you a fucking ambulance is what she said. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of really heavy crimes, so this is needed. Yes. Um, he basically arranged the murder of his 39-year-old girlfriend, who he didn't actually kill, but he arranged it. Her decomposing body was found in a river, I believe. He served nine years for that. He was sentenced to 20, but he only served nine. So they knew that Ed was a hitman, right, off the bat, basically. Yeah. Because after he got out of jail, he was down on his luck financially. So they weren't, they were pretty sure it was a hit. And, like, yeah. they were like, okay, but who sent him? Obviously, they had the suspicion that it would be Mike because, obviously, us true crime lovers are like, it's always the husband. It's always the janitor at the fantasy adult <laughs> film store. <laughs> uh, should look at him. Honestly, though, it's I don't want to blame janitors. Janitors are amazing. That's true. They are. But my mom worked in schools my whole life. I've known some fantastic janitors. Yes. But. But you have not known janitors at a fantasy. No, I haven't. I have not. I can't even say it. (laughs) I 
can't even get it out. Sorry. But it was less than 24 hours later for them to officially link the two together. Susan was, of course, taken to the hospital after the crime, but they released her because, miraculously, her injuries were not serious. She was really banged up. Don't get me wrong. Like, her face, poor thing. Black and blue. Well, yeah, I mean, getting punched even a yeah. couple of times. But it was all superficial, surface-level damage. When she was told that she did actually kill him, she felt horrible. Again, like we've mentioned, this is an ER nurse who has spent 30 years caring for others and keeping other people alive. She's done trauma in the hospital, and this was not her nature. She was really upset that his family had lost someone. But I will note that after everything settles down, she did receive a note from the family of Ed Haffey. His aunt had written her a letter on behalf of the whole family. She said that they loved Ed, especially growing up, but that as he had grown, he had turned into a different person and that they had no hard feelings towards her for his death. And they actually thought that her actions had resulted in the saved lives of other people because they Aww. thought that he would have continued to, he would have hurt other people later down the road. That's so sweet. I know. It was very thoughtful of them to reach out to her and make sure that, like, she knew that they didn't have any negative feelings. So she wasn't staying at the home, obviously. But the next day, her and her friend went to the house to collect some of her things. They were packing when one of her friends went down to the basement to collect a suitcase, and she noticed something that didn't belong. They had found a backpack, and when they looked inside, they found something that changed everything. A bottle of Hershey's syrup. (laughs) What? No, that's not what changed everything. But they did find that. That was in the bag. They also found a pay stub from her ex-husband's employer, as well as a daily planner that said, call Mike. But the chocolate syrup might be important, too, so I thought I'd mention it. It's not important. (laughs) Okay. Later, it was discovered that he had also written Mike's new cell phone number in his daily planner. Right. No, that's lots of physical evidence. They also figured out that Ed Haffey had recently been hired by Mike to be a janitor at the Fantasy Adult Video Store. And he's like, by the way, I like your resume. Yeah. And when Mike realized. Not just for janitorial skills. (laughs) Pretty much exactly what happened. Yeah. He figured out his history and he was like, oh, you know what? Actually. That would I solve really a lot use of my a janitor problems. like you. I could really wink, use wink. a hit. I mean, a janitor like you. <laughs> um, and so, of course, he decided, I want to have a hit placed on my wife. Um, you'll do it. And I'm going to pay you to do that. So. Make sure you take Hershey syrup. <laughs> yes. This, it could be important. He was also diabetic. I don't. There was diabetes medicine in the bag. It was a whole mess. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's why. We never got answers on the Hershey syrup. He had the diabetes. (laughs) He was promised $50,000 from Susan's life insurance policy after she had been killed. um, And he was told to make it look like a burglary gone wrong. Which, like, does that ever work? Ever. So, obviously. I can't think of it. No. (laughs) I was literally trying to think of. No. I cannot think of a single time where that's I mean, maybe. Maybe. Those Those don't make interesting true crime. Stories. No, because here's so. the thing. People who are breaking and entering into homes to steal things don't kill people. Burglaries don't go wrong. Statistically, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's when it looks like that, when it, yeah. detectives are like, so this is obviously somebody came in with this intention because this isn't what ha- this isn't how it happens. Yeah. 
That's true. It's just even not- there was a phase in Ohio, a phase. I don't know if that's the right word, but there was a time in Ohio, but they weren't calling them burglaries gone wrong. They were calling them home invasions because yes. people would intentionally break in when they knew people were home. Yes. They didn't care. They're like, yeah, we're going to go in and yes. <laughs> stab these people and steal their stuff. Exactly. And I think I think that's a good distinction between a burglary and a home invasion. Yeah. Is intention. Anyway. If you're hired to kill somebody, I think it makes the most sense that you wouldn't tell anybody about it, right? But so many of them do. And in fact, Ed told a lot of people, including his drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, when they ran a talk screen on Ed after the incident, he was definitely, uh, he liked Booker Sugar. He was on the cocaine. Oh, my God. Like a lethal dose of cocaine was in his system. And Coke would have made him a more aggressive and stronger attacker. So Susan yeah, is even more. Yeah, but the diabetes of- slows you down. Oh yeah, especially if you're. Although, can I just say how comical I find it that the man is taking diabetes medication, but clearly having sugar. That's what I'm saying. And taking cocaine. Like I got to take care of my diabetes. I got to take care of myself. But except I love cocaine <laughs> and Hershey syrup. Yeah, but my point is that he was even more aggressive as. Oh my god. <laughs> He was even more aggressive and strong during that attack. And Susan still beat him. Yeah. She's a warrior. She deserves the Purple Heart. I'm sorry. Most trauma nurses do. They do. So 58-year-old Mike heard people and, like, heard from the grapevine saying, like, Susan survived and that his hitman died. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously. You better look out, Mike. (laughs) He's like, I got to hit the road, Jack. He purchases a handgun and writes a suicide note. It read, and this is so, he's just so cringe. All I ever wanted was to be loved, and every time I had it, I fucked it up. Oh, I hate that. He was caught a week later with the handgun. He never killed himself. Actually, that makes total sense, because he's a coward. Yeah. Susan promptly filed for divorce. That sounded weird. I feel like that came out weird. Okay. Like, people who commit suicide are no, no 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 no, no. no. but just in this instance like that manipulation of yes woe is me self-pitying i messed it up but like you really the i don't even know how to explain it yeah i do but my words are so jumbled because i get so worked up about can you tell i've known people like this? yes i have to <laughs> so fun um, um so yeah i d- i just wanted to clarify that does not mean that i think people who commit suicide are brave i yes. just mean y- you're doing it for manipulation tactic yeah not because it wasn't you were because actually he was going. actually going to he wanted to yeah. yeah um so he was caught a week later and he still had the handgun and of course the minute he was in custody susan promptly filed for their divorce yeah at first mike continues to claim his innocence not like the evidence isn't stacking against him or anything like that. Like, let's go through all of it, shall we? He's going through a divorce he doesn't want. He would lose half of his home and most of his income. He knows he would get money if she died. He employed the hitman. The hitman had the garage code that only Susan and Mike had. He had call Mike and his daily planner. 
He told everyone under the sun that Mike had hired him to kill his wife, and he had Mike's new phone number. But he was innocent, of course. Quack. (laughs) Quack, quack. (laughs) Quack, quack, quack. If it walks like a duck, and it talks like a duck, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a turducken. It's not a turducken. It's just a duck. He said that his only connection was through employing Ed, and then that was the only way he knew him. He said, oh, I deactivated the alarm before I leave. I didn't give Ed the code. Trying to, like, get rid of that portion of the evidence. But then investigators talked to the ex-cellmate of Ed Haffey, who said that he came and offered him $5,000 to help him murder Susan. He came to him in jail when he was still in jail? No, no, no. I think he was out of jail. Oh, they just... Were they were so it was what okay yeah. gotcha so eventually he changed his plea to guilty after he realized that there was literally no way he was going to get out of this and he got a plea deal of 10 years unfortunately he had prostate cancer that had metastasized to the bone and he actually died six months into his sentence i mean i don't necessarily count that as unfortunate because <laughs> he just didn't do the time that he should have done and that's kind of a shame Yeah, but But also as a taxpayer, (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) I want that on a sticker. (laughs) That's so funny. As a taxpayer, I'm glad he's dead. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, no trial, but let's talk about the self-defense rules because this is the perfect example of a self-defense case. Yes. Equal force meets equal force is normally the self-defense rules, right? Yeah. Somebody comes at you and they've ju- they're just punching you and you shoot them. Equal force is not equal force. Yeah, we covered that case. We've talked about this before. You push them. Yes. And then you whip out a gun and shoot them. No. No. Michael See, episode Draca, number. I'm talking to you. Michael Drake. Um, oh, such a good episode. You guys should listen to that. This, Susan Walters, is a perfect example of an accurate self-defense defense. Yes. He came at her, tried to kill her. She actually came at him and didn't try and kill him. She offered an ambulance. She did. She said, if you just tell me who you are, we can solve this right now. You can walk out of here. So, yeah, I just thought that was, if you ever need an example of a self-defense case, this is a perfect one. But, since there was no trial, and that's pretty much the extent that we can talk about that let's yeah. talk about susan's passion which has become something that i am actually super invested in advocacy systems for victims within our justice system susan became a really paranoid person for a bit after the attack she drove with locked car doors she moved homes and actually had a gravel a gravel driveway put into her new house so that she could always hear when somebody was coming she never has her back to a doorway etc etc yeah She has done so much advocacy work in the meantime, though. She said that pre-conviction, she felt very supportive by the detectives, the DA office, etc., etc., etc. But post-conviction, she felt very alone and there weren't many advocacy options. She said that there's only one person who's managing all the advocacy and outreach for a convicted person. Basically, in most states, they have this. Basically, if you're a victim of a crime... They can communicate with you about somebody's eligibility for parole, their status as a prisoner, right? Um, all of that fun stuff. And there was only one person doing this for the entire state of Oregon at the time. Oh, my gosh. 
So she was like, that's not okay. And she vowed to help and come up with new solutions. She's been very outspoken about women's strength and girl strength programs and the Oregon Crime Victims Law Center. To solve the particular problem about dealing with the status of prisoners in 2017, Susan worked with the Multnomah, Multnomah, yeah, Multnomah County District Attorney's Office in creating what's known as Case Companion. It's a free website dedicated to supporting victims of crime in the area. Basically, it provides answers about the justice system, what they should expect during legal proceedings, online sources for anything that they could need. Furthermore, as soon as the office files the charges, they can track their court dates, their sentencing details, and any information about the offenders when they're released. Nice. We're actually going to be linking all of this in our link tree, so you can see it there. And also just a note about our link tree, when we do episodes where we talk about something and I say it's going to be linked in our link tree in our bios, it normally stays there for about a month to six weeks, depending on how we're cycling things through, what the new cases are. If you want it and it's not in our link tree, it's almost always going to be in the show notes. It'll normally be the first or second link in the show notes. Yeah. But Florida could really do with some work like this because in my research, we have VOCA, V-O-C-A, which from what I can tell is really more of a financial support system in place for victims rather than emotional. Yeah. Um, And again, after the DA's office is kind of done with you, and the prosecution is finished, you're not receiving a ton of support from our justice system. And I think that that could be something yeah. that would be really helpful. I understand why to an extent, because they have other things, yes. you know, other cases to take on. Exactly. But um, especially for people who don't either have great health insurance or yeah. all the money to like look for support and counseling and this and that mm-hmm. it it's definitely would be really nice for them to have some kind of system in place that kind of can help them mm-hmm. or at least help guide them to the help that they need exactly so poor susan had to put in a gravel driveway i know in all the things that i watched or read of susan she was always incredibly well-spoken kind-hearted and overall just a good woman The perfect example of this is the Associated Press had actually reached out to her, and this is what they heard on her voicemail a few days after the crime. Quote, I'm not able to answer all the calls that I've received in the past few days. I'm being comforted by your concern and your support. I want you to know that our lives are all at risk for random acts, but more likely random acts of love will come your way than random acts of violence. That's like a day after her attack. Oh, Susan. Oh, Susan. So. You're going to make me cry. Anyway, this was a really comforting case to read. I mean, it's really heavy because poor Susan. Um, Yeah. And, you know, her marriage was not great and it just sucks. But I do think that she is providing a lot of help to people like her who would need it in the end. And I hope that she sees the value in what she's doing. And I hope she knows that what she's doing is so important. And Susan, we love you. I'm the biggest fan. This is the second case with a Susan that we love. Yeah, it is. Well. (laughs) Oh, Stacey's 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 wife. Yeah, Stacey Cananans. Well, girlfriend. Girlfriend. Whatever. I don't know. Might be wife now. Might be wife now. That's what I was thinking. I know they were together long term. Yeah. Well, I thought that's what it was. And then I was like, Stacey. And then I was like, 
but Stacy is not Susan. And then I thought, <laughs> oh, but Susan is with Stacy. Anyway. Anyway. I hope this was a this bit of a, good. I know it was heavy, but it's also kind of a, a more positive ending. It's true crime. It's all heavy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, then our last two cases, and I hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Of course. And read up about Case Companion. It's really cool. I will. Nice. I always look at those when I put the show notes together. Woohoo. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.